Let's pray. Lord, I think probably in most everyday conversation, it would uh, look awkward to be so excited about blood. That's not another place in life where we use the word precious and blood. But Father, we do know that life is in the blood and that we can't live without it. But Father, your blood is a life that infuses us with eternal life. It is a blood that cleanses and washes away all that is wrong, all that I've messed up, all of the sin. And it's a powerful blood. It can wash everything away. It is a powerful blood because it can let me live forever. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that we daily grow in in an appreciation and an understanding of that blood and what it does in our life. That we daily grow in an understanding and appreciation of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. and What he can mean in my life for today. May there be no more significant event in all of my life than that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we live like it each and every day. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, it reads like this. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they were like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has been resurrected, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and he said... Two of my favorite verses in the Bible. The first two words out of the resurrected Son of God. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And they did see him there. And so did Paul, and so did about 500 other people give eyewitness testimony to the fact, the historical fact, that they had seen a resurrected, a living Jesus Christ. They believed that so greatly, they held to what they saw so greatly, that many of them lost their lives. When given an opportunity to recant, to say they didn't see the resurrected, they wouldn't. And the religious leaders and the governmental officials of that day killed them for their testimony. But they knew what they believed. They knew what they had seen. And here we are today, some 2,000 years later, and we believe this. We celebrate this. Man, why do we believe something like this? If you think about it, it's kind of outlandish, isn't it? 
I mean, I, I've never seen anybody walk out of a tomb. I've never seen Jesus for that matter. But I believe this. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins on Friday afternoon, went into a tomb, and on Sunday he walked out, saw two ladies, and said, good morning. I believe that. You believe that. That's why we've gathered here today. Somebody might ask, why would you believe something like that? Some would say that. You know, this almost borders like a fairy tale. Why would we believe something like that? Some might say that, well, you, you believe because that's, that's religion. It's the human psyche. We, you know, we need something to believe in. Everybody needs a religion. Others might say, well, we believe because uh, that's, that's how people were conditioned. Especially if you're born in America. Especially if you're born in the South. You're going to grow up probably hearing this story about Jesus and the resurrection. You're just kind of conditioned to believe it. Some may not know why people believe or why they believe. I hope there's some out there that say, I know why I believe, because I've prayed over it, I've studied it, I've researched it, and this is what I'm anchoring my life to. This is what I believe to be the truth. A lot of reasons why we might believe something like this. My focus this morning, though, what I want us to think about is not why we believe this, but so what? So what that we believe this? You know, I believe that Lewis and Clark walked across America. I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. I believe that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And I believe Jeff Gordon finally broke a 47-race losing streak last week in Texas. <laughs> you know, I believe all these things. They're historical facts. I believe them. Some of them are important. Some of them have probably had an effect on my life. Like you start talking about our founding fathers and, and people who've shaped the country. You know, we, we live in that. We enjoy that. So I, I enjoy some of the benefits of these things. I believe these things. I, some of these things are important. But when you ask, so what? Well, I don't know that my life can really say so what to all of that. You know, I, I've thought about it. I've looked back over the last week. I even kind of stretched it out the last month. I don't think I made a single decision in light of George Washington this past week. Not a single one did I say, now what would George do right here? I can call him George. We're close. I'm not planning as I look to the week ahead. I, I, I don't know that I'll do anything based on the fact that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. So I believe those things. They're important. But when it comes to what it means to my life day in and day out. So what difference is it making? Um, not, not very much, really. I mean, if I'm being honest. Now, is that okay if the same is true about Jesus? I mean, that historical event, historical character, it's a truth back there. Is it okay to say, you know, I believe that. I, I think it's important. I think it's important. We celebrate it. That's why we're here this morning. We're celebrating it. But as far as what I did this past week, what I'm going to do this week is, so what? Is that okay? There's a little verse, short verse, near the end of the New Testament, 1 John 5, 12. It says this, the one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God, does not have life. Okay, apparently there's a little bit more of a consequence for what I do or don't do with this historical character, this historical event. You see, if I have received this event, if I'm responding appropriately to this event, if I have Jesus, I've got life. 
Life abundant, life eternal. But if I don't respond appropriately, if I don't really have Jesus, then I don't have life. I mean, I might be alive, I might be existing, I might be doing stuff, but none of it's going to count for anything. None of it's going to mean anything. I am just daily moving closer to an eternal death. So there's a consequence on what we do with this historical event. Now let's get the fact in our mind. Let's think about the so what. This is the fact. Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, living and proving to be the very Son of God. So what? Now as we try to answer that so what question, what I want to do for a moment this morning is I want to go back to the passage I just read. There in Matthew chapter 28. And let's watch not necessarily what Jesus does, but let's watch what those regular people, just like you and me, what do they do with this historical event? What, what did those first people who were responding to Jesus, what was the so what? What was the difference in their lives? And we see two things. There's two so what's in their life. The first one is, Jesus Christ was resurrected, so what? So they worshipped Him. They fell at His feet and they worshipped the Son of God. Do you worship? You know, if you ask the average person, do you worship? They're probably going to answer with a time and a place. Oh yes, I I worship at at Colonial Heights Baptist at the 930 service. We we think of worship as an, an event that we do right here. Some of you may think of worship as being a smaller event than that. You may think of worship as being that activity that takes place right after the announcements and right before the sermon. So basically, you completely cut me out of it. Shame on you. But isn't that what we call that? We call it the praise and worship time. Well, the truth is, folks, all of that, all of that is worship. Yes, what we do in an hour in a building here in in this this service, that's, that's worship. And this is such a significant part. This is such an important part of worship that God commands in the New Testament that we not miss this. We are commanded to week in and week out be here. That's how we worship. That's what it means to worship. But worship is more, it includes this, but it is more than just what goes on in a particular hour at a particular building. Man, worship's how we live. Worshiping is expressing the glory and the greatness of God. And yeah, I want to do that in my songs. I want to do that in my giving. I want to do that in the way I devote my mind to to listening and understanding the Word of God. But you know what? We also want to go home and the way we live in our marriage, the way we live in our marriage this afternoon should express the greatness of God. The the way we are going to make decisions this week should worship Jesus. The way we should handle our finances should show how great and how worthy He is in our lives. To to see how we handle all of our relationships, the enemies, the strangers, the co-workers, the friends, the family, all of those different relationships, as I move in and out of all of those different relationships, the way I handle them should show people how great Jesus Christ is. Now that's not easy. I mean, we probably move in and throughout a lot of this stuff without ever thinking about it expressing the greatness of God. And so if we're going to effectively and faithfully do this, we're going to need three things in our life. 
We need three things to effectively and faithfully worship. One, we need the Bible. I, I need the Bible. I open up my Bible and it, it teaches me that God is, is truth and He's just and He's fair. He's holy. He's awesome. He's, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. The more I read the Scripture, the more my heart and my mind get big for God. The more I see how worthy of a life of praise and worship He is. But you know what? When I open God's Word, it also helps me. It instructs me in a life that will give praise and worship to God. I mean, I talk about going home this afternoon and my, my marriage expressing the greatness of Christ. Gosh, what does a marriage look like that does that? Well, I open up Ephesians chapter 5 or Genesis chapter 2 and it instructs, it guides, it shows a marriage that does that. Does the same thing with finances. Does the same thing with decision making. Does the same thing with decisions. The Bible shows me how to go through things that are scary. Things that are fearful and yet lead it to worshiping God. So the scripture is going to instruct me on a life that worships and praises God. There's a second thing I'm going to need. I'm going to need the church. I need the church to worship. You know what? God said the way we love him is the way we love and serve each other in the church. Now, the way I understand that, if I'm not in church, then I'm severely limited in any capacity to show God love. Now, you'll hear people say, we've all heard people say this. Well, I don't need to go to church to worship. I, I, I can do that alone. I can, I can do that at home. Well, first of all, let me tell you something. People that say that, they're not. And yeah, there's certainly an element of truth. Yes, you can worship without having your name on a church roll. You can worship. You could have worshipped this morning without necessarily being here. I'm telling you something. People that say that, they're not. They're not. You know why? Because worship's hard. You know why it's hard? Because you and I are incredibly self-centered. We really get caught in this trap that thinking all of life is about the great me. And you know what? I need church. I need a place once a week where I'm reminded, hey, there's something bigger going on than me. There is a bigger plan. There is a bigger agenda in this world than my plan and my agenda. Folks, if we're not in church, you are going to forget God and you're not going to worship him. We need the church to worship. The third thing we need is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, we're talking this morning about having Jesus. How do we, how do we have the Holy Spirit? Well, when I come to that place in my life where I trust what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, what was accomplished here, what washed and cleansed my sin, and I place my faith in Him, not Him in the church, not Him in the good deeds I'm going to do, not Him in how effectively I look like a Christian, but 100% Him. When I place all of my faith and trust in Him, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside me. And He's the one who guides and empowers and enables me to worship. He guides and empowers and enables me to live a life that worships. So I need the Holy Spirit. He's going to help me to do that. Do I have Jesus? Because I want to know if I have life or not. Am I doing with this historical event what needs to be done with it? Am I answering the so what in my life? Well, then we should see worship. A life, yes, a service, an hour, but a whole life that expresses the glory and the greatness of God. There's a second so what. So what difference did it make to these who saw him? Well, there are in chapter 28, which is a short chapter, 
you've got your Bible open, you see it's only 20 verses long. But the second so what is they go and tell. Short chapter, but three times. And folks, anything that's repeated is repeated to make a point. Only needs to be said once to count. When it's repeated, he's really trying to get through three times though. Three times in this short chapter, it says we are to go and tell. Now, folks, you know, I, I am a, I'm a fan, as I said a moment ago, above George Washington. I like John Adams, too. I like reading about their lives, studying their lives. I like going to historical places centered around them. But, but I don't go and talk to anybody about John and George. They're buddies of mine, but I don't, I don't talk with that. I don't, I don't share that. And you know what? There's no consequence for that. Neither John nor George have ever said, Randy, you're to go out into the world and talk about us. They've never said that to me. But this historical character, Jesus, has. Over and over and over, he has said, go and tell. We are to go and tell that he is alive. We're to go and tell the difference that he has made in our lives, the work he is doing in our lives. We are to go and tell with the express purpose of seeing others become followers, of seeing others become believers. We're to go and tell. And that's hard too, isn't it? I mean, if we're being honest that, you know, that whole, you know, witnessing, going and sharing, going time makes us a little bit nervous sometimes. Not sure how we handle that. Not sure we want to do that. So to effectively and faithfully do it, guess how many things I'm going to need? Three. That's right. I gave it away. Did you see the hint? And you already know what three things they are. Number one, you're going to need the Bible. The Bible gives me the content of what I'm going to go and tell. The Bible helps me to live a life that is conducive to going and telling. Now, praise the Lord, He doesn't call me to be perfect before I go and share with somebody what Jesus has done in my life. You don't have to be a perfect. You don't have to have accomplished everything. You don't need to have arrived with God. But you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, there is a life that is a little bit more conducive to going and telling. You know, if I go and tell somebody that I just hit probably not real interested in what I want to go and tell if they know I just lied to them if they know I just stole from them well we hear so many people say I don't go to church anymore why usually because of people see our lives do have an impact on our going and telling and so the the scripture guides me helps me to live a life conducive to going and telling I also need the can you guess the second one starts with a c the church are sharp that's good I need the church to go and tell. Now, you know, we can kind of say the same thing about witnessing as we said about worship a moment ago. I mean, do you have to be a member of a church? Do you have to have your name on a church roll to go and tell somebody about Jesus? No, of course not. But I'll tell you something, if you're not a part of church, you're not going and telling. There's not one out of a thousand people that has no involvement with church that is going and telling, which means they're not responding appropriately to this historical truth, which means they probably don't have Jesus. We need the church. You know, we need the church because I said a moment ago, that whole act of going and telling sometimes makes us a little nervous. So I come to church and that command is thrown up in front of me. I see that. I'm reminded of that. I'm trained in that. I'm motivated in that. I'm helped in that. Folks, the fact is, with the church, you're going to go further and you're going to tell more. You're going to go much further and you're going to tell much more than you ever would by yourself. Plus, you need a church because when you go and tell, you've got to have a place to bring people when you've gone and told, right? Got to get them involved. So we need the church 
if we're going to do this. And we need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and He emboldens. He gives me strength. He gives me the, the words. He even runs out out in front of me. And He gets to those people, that person I'm going to go and tell. And He opens up their heart. He prepares their mind for that going and telling. So I'm going to need the Bible. I'm going to need the church. I'm going to need the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ has been resurrected. So what? Well, if that so what has been rightly answered in my life, then folks, I ought to be able to look into this past week. I ought to be able to look into the last month and all throughout this week, all throughout this month, I should see places and people where I have gone and told. I should see worship happening throughout my life. If that so what has been appropriately answered in my life, then I should be able to look out to the week in front of me, the month in front of me, and there should already be in place plans, commitments, where there's going to be worship, where there's going to be a going and telling. That's what it looks like. That's what difference it makes. It is our life. You know, it's amazing. We have reduced Christianity down to an hour-long service in a building. Do you think that's why Jesus died on a cross? I've come to this earth and died on a cross so you'd sit in, an hour, uh, sit in a building one hour a week and be bored. you think that's what He had in mind? Folks, Christ came to this world so that our life would be defined by Him and Him alone. Say, gosh, why, why would I let somebody, an event, a character some 2,000 years ago define my whole life? One reason. He is our life. There is no life outside of Him. Outside of Christ, we are every single day moving toward a Christless eternity. Every single day, we are moving toward what is the consummation of all of our sin, all of our rebellion against God, all of our saying no to Him. Outside of Christ, there is nothing. But in Christ, in Christ, there is complete and total forgiveness. In Christ, there is cleanliness. There is holiness. I am made a child of God and I get to live forever and ever in His presence. He is our life. No wonder we worship. No wonder we go and tell. Folks, this week when you head back to work, you head back to life, somebody says, what would you do this weekend? Well, I went to church, Easter service. Why would you do that? Well, because Jesus Christ rose again. So? How will your words, how will your life answer that question? Let's pray. Father, I believe that for the most part, the reason every single person is in this room is because to one degree or another, we, we believe in the person of Jesus. We believe He died on a cross. We're pretty sure we believe He rose again. We, we would say it's important Obviously, Lord, we believe to some degree it's important to celebrate it. That's why we've gathered today. But Lord, as you look in each heart and life in this room, you can see and you can tell whether we really have your son.
whether we really have your gift. You can look into our lives and you can see if the so what question has really been answered. Father, I believe I pray on behalf of all of us. Oh, Lord, we want it to. What you did for us, they're so awesome, so wonderful. Yes, I want my life. I want my life to answer that so what question. Lord, as we leave here today, I pray we leave with a, a commitment to really think about how our lives are answering that question. To rededicate, to refocus ourselves to a whole life, a whole lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of going and telling. And, and God, as we commit ourselves to that, we thank you. Because Lord, I feel really inadequate, really unequipped to do that. But you've, you've given me the Bible, you've given me the church, you've given me the Holy Spirit so that all this can happen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.